Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist based in Los Angeles, specializing in trauma and addiction. Welcome to our podcast, which is called It's Not About the Sex, also the name of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term, sustainable recovery. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical tools toward living a deeply connected life. Let's get started. Dr. Nancy Sobel is a licensed psychologist in private practice in West Los Angeles, specializing in the treatment of trauma and compulsive disorders related to substance abuse, process addictions, and sexual dependencies. She has worked in the addiction field for more than 35 years. Dr. Sobel is widely known for her work in the entertainment industry and helped develop the Music Hairs Addiction Recovery Program, a well-known charity for impaired musicians. In addition to her work as a psychologist, Dr. Sobel is very involved in disaster relief work globally and most recently in Haiti, where she founded a nonprofit called Gap Create to provide community assistance with education and mental health services. She has also been a guest expert on television and radio, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, E True Biography, and our local NPR station, KCRW's Which Way LA. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome my colleague and my friend, Dr. Nancy Sobel, here with us today. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's so nice to be here with you. It's such a pleasure being here. And as I was driving over here, and and this is a, a first, actually, I was thinking about being in your office as we're recording the podcast. And there's an intimacy being here with you. Usually, we have a podcast studio in Santa Monica, but coming to your office created a whole different sense of being invited into your sanctum and and having this experience where you do your work, which is really touching because I believe that there's a certain kind of vibe and a kind of almost like an archives of of clients and, and, and healing that we bring to our clients all the time. So thank you so much for inviting us to be here with you today. Well, it's totally my pleasure. I love sharing my office space, which is kind of, I affectionately call it my spaceship, where the magic happens. And how did you come up with the term spaceship? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just a funny little thing of uh, just another world. Mm-hmm. as opposed to out there in the world where we have to cope with all the expectations and cultural ways of being. And I like to think that this is a very sacred space. I ought to call it the sacred space because that's how I think of it, that the whole purpose is for people to feel safe so that they can really open up and feel understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some reason, when I think about a spaceship, I think about a, a super safe capsule yes. that that gets to be that sanctuary for whatever period of time. And also where you get catapulted, hopefully, into another dimension as 
the 12-steppers say. Right. Another dimension of being. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I read something about what gets a spaceship off the ground and what takes it to the moon. Have you ever heard that story before? No. Well... (laughs) Apparently, and I don't know the technical part of this, but apparently it takes an amazing amount of fuel, of course, yes. and combustion yes. for the rocket ship to, to actually lift off, right? Yes. We know that. We've seen that in all the images from Cape Canaveral, etc. But what it really relies on is the lunar gravity to oh. pull it to the moon. Wow. I had no idea. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. I think sometimes with clients, we're, we're helping them launch, but we're also helping them find their trajectory. Yes, and maybe their, their healthiest ideal is pulling them. That's their lunar station that is pulling them to a better way of being. Absolutely. Because I do think everyone who comes in here has an idea of their potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... and You know, in coaching terms, we think about creating a vision. Yes. And aligning that vision with one's core values. And I think we're saying the same thing, that if a client starts to feel more confident and capable and competent, that hopefully they can find their way to whatever that lunar destination might be for them. Sounds great. (laughs) I love all these images. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Um, So... Getting back to our topic for the day, we're going to be talking we today. We really took off on we that did, one. We did, that's for sure. <laughs> far, far away. A galaxy far, far away. Yes. Um, today, we're going to be focusing on your group leadership around sex addiction. Yes. And because it's not about the sex, podcast focuses primarily on when somebody gets into recovery from sex addiction, right? They've, they've completed their experience in whatever <laughs> form that has taken to um, hopefully stop the destructive or self-destructive behaviors. Group is a fantastic uh, example of further healing. And I'm wondering if you can talk about this because you've been leading therapy groups for men in recovery from sex addiction for, for many years. How many years altogether? Well, I did it in treatment programs, drug re- rehab treatment programs, but in my private practice since 96. Wow. So it's now 2019. So 23 years, more or less. Yes. Which probably puts you in the category of one of the pioneers of bringing group therapy to private practice for this particular population. Particularly, yes. Absolutely. Yes. So how did you, in particular, become interested in in leading these types of groups? Well, I was inspired by my brother, Jim, who also suffered from sex addiction, and he really did suffer uh, to the point where he developed HIV and then AIDS. And what I saw was the isolation of his own sense of who he is, was. And I thought if I could provide, he was still alive when I started the groups, and I thought it would be good karma, somehow magical thinking, that if I started a place where men could come and talk about these very private 
very shameful behaviors in a safe place and work their way through it and find other men who are also suffering and finding ways to transcend it together that it would help them and also create some kind of good karma for my brother that maybe he would find recovery from the AIDS itself, which he unfortunately succumbed to. But uh, at any rate, it was an amazing beginning and inspiration to think about isolation and shame as the foundation of things to work on in group therapy, mm-hmm. particularly with sex addicts. Mm-hmm. So with your brother Jim, it sounds like there was something that was so up close and personal for you that it became a calling for you. Yes. Yeah. Can you say more about what that's been like for you to to maybe mend your broken heart as you're mending the broken hearts of others? I've, I, I'm not sure I can articulate it. But thank you for asking. I just feel very touched by the way you're bringing him into the room. I appreciate it. And I often think of him when I'm sitting in group and someone has an aha, or I see one of the men reaching out to another one. Uh, The other day in group, one of the guys just got up and said, I need a hug, and grabbed one of the other guys. And I thought, oh, right in the middle, spontaneously. It was so beautiful and so exactly what I envisioned. There's, I have a mentor named Robert Stollero, and he talks a lot about overcoming trauma by finding a relational home for your feelings. And that is definitely the description of what I'm trying to provide in group therapy, is a relational home. Mm-hmm. Well, not only does it sound like you have created that space, but it sounds like there's just a hunger for that from your clients. And, yes. and they find not only find each other, but they're like heat-seeking missiles at times when they reach out for that, that contact, that, in yes. this case, that touch. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I love it. And also we have the text chain, which adds to that feeling of connection that gets maintained throughout the week. So we meet once a week, but we do have a group text chain for each group, and I'm on it as well. And the men can check in at any time. So I have one guy who's right now been having a lot of trouble with relapse. So he checks in every day at the end of the day to say whether or not he's been sober and how he's doing or a word for the day to kind of help him stay focused on his recovery. And the other guys can jump in and just say, boy," or I can say something, you know, maybe we need to talk by phone or a little bit more. And throughout the week, each of the groups has their own personality and their own way of sharing, whether it's humor or needing support or congratulations for milestones achieved. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that idea, by the way, of the relational home. And I love that idea of the text chain almost being like a transitional object of sorts, a transitional communication between sessions. Yes. So so they don't have to feel like they just come for the 90 minutes each week, but they know that, that they're there just in case. I really believe that a big part of recovery is community. Mm. 
and connection, Mm -hmm. and that addiction is all about isolation. Uh So having a community, a sense of community that can be maintained throughout the week is vital. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you would go this far, but the sense I'm getting from what you're saying is that they really become like family. Yes. Whether we call it surrogate families or families of choice. Yes. That there's something so bonding about the kind of suffering that they're healing from. Yes. That they just really are there for one another in very deep ways. Yes, it's true. And it's beautiful to see and be a part of. I'm so honored. And I do feel that it honors Jim's memory. Absolutely. It it sounds like it not only honors it, but it it, it brings his memory and, and how you um, haven't, of course, internalized him as your brother into every group. Yes. He's alive in yes. that way. Yes. It's very bittersweet. Well, with... You know, I do a lot of work with artists and performing artists, Mm -hmm. and we talk a lot about those three T's, the concept of uh, transcribing what happened in terms of trauma, and then transforming it in the transcription, and then transcending it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that also happens in the group through, and I think I have done that in, although I haven't written about group mm-hmm. yet yeah I have <laughs> you're my inspiration for that <laughs> but um that I am transcribing it at least into words my yeah. own pain my own uh joy also yeah. at my relationship that I had with him and learning from his suffering as well as from his recovery he did find recovery before he died and carrying that message has definitely helped me transcend it mm, yeah I've already heard three chapters, by the way, transcribing, transforming, and transcending. So I think you're on your way. (laughs) So if someone was interested in in joining your group, how would they go about it? And and how do you screen prospective members? Well, I always like to be very honest and tell you that I've made mistakes, that I've let people enter the group, and it hasn't been a fit. And sometimes that's how I learn what works and what doesn't work. And one of the main things that I've done differently now is I haven't been in such a rush just because because I'll meet a client and think, oh, group would really help him. Mm -hmm. I want to put him in the group. And I used to do that too quickly Mm -hmm. and not really think about which group he would fit into and was he ready. And now I take more time. I like to meet individually with the client at least once or twice. I, if it's from a reference and he's working with a therapist, then I like to talk to that therapist, as you know, and really hear about the client. And then I like to talk about the current group, talk with the current group, and tell them I'm thinking about a new guy and tell them a little bit about him without breaking confidentiality Mm -hmm. just so that they can kind of try it on and say is this the right time in the group Mm -hmm. is this the right fit for us Uh, what are you afraid of in having a new member and in one of my oldest groups the one that actually started in 96 there's one member who always hates when there's a new person coming into group Mm -hmm. and he it's almost a joke now like no no new members (laughs) 
but it's been good to talk about it uh-huh. and see what what he's worried about and right. what he's looking for in a group member and the primary thing that all of them are looking for is commitment uh-huh. so what I do now is when I have a new member I explain that you're really making an eight-week commitment mm. I ask them to give four sessions to decide whether or not they want to stay in the group Mm -hmm. and then if they decide they want to leave I ask for four sessions to do the departure Mm. so that people have a chance to say goodbye and because they've opened up and shared something Mm -hmm. that I'm sure is very personal both the new person and the group the existing group Mm -hmm. we want to give each other a chance to say goodbye and put that in a place that it can be taken away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's an important part of joining the group is making that commitment. Sure. So it sounds respectful of both the person potentially coming into the group, but also the group itself. That yes. It's a match for the group and it's a match for the individual. Yes. Yeah. And it also sounds like you have learned some lessons through the years yes. that is making it maybe easier or um, that you have been more cautious to bring someone in who's going to be really benefiting and and that the group is going to benefit from them. Yes. Sure. That's great. So group therapy, especially group therapy for those in recovery from compulsive sex, um, sounds kind of like 12-step in a way. I mean, I know it's different, but, but I'm not sure all of our listeners know the differences. So I'm wondering if you can talk for a moment about the differences between your groups, group therapy and private practice versus a 12-step meeting. Sure. Well, first of all, there's a format with the meetings in which there's no crosstalk normally, unless you're doing a feedback group in SAA. And even in that case, there's not a professional usually who is guiding the feedback group. So in group therapy, we do give feedback. In fact, the whole thing is based on giving each other feedback. And I ask each member in their feedback to try on what they feel when a person is sharing whatever issue they're bringing to the table, Mm -hmm. what they see in that person and what they hear. Because often what you feel, see, and hear when you're early in recovery or when you're off your game, Mm -hmm. those things don't match. Mm There's a term called psychological congruence. Mm. And we're looking to develop psychological congruence so that what I feel, what I hear, what I say, what I tell myself, all line up. Mm -hmm. And that's the group provides a wonderful mirror for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is in the feedback. Also, there is an ongoing commitment and relationship, and it's limited in number so I never have more than eight people in a group whereas in meetings you may have as many as 30 so you may not get to share every time there's no guarantee Mm -hmm. whereas in group if you really need to share you can make that known and we'll make space for it Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot more personalization and individualization Mm -hmm. in group therapy Mm -hmm. and there's a consistency in the relationships that you develop so that group as you were saying earlier it's like a family but it's also a microcosm so you're mm-hmm. getting to practice relationships mm-hmm. in a more structured environment that you can then take those skills out into the world mm-hmm. and practice them in the world mm-hmm. 
and if I'm hearing you correctly, I'm not sure everyone understands this, generally if you have a group of eight men, those eight men are going to be coming together week in and week out. Yes. Unless somebody leaves, you might bring in someone new. Yes. But it's a closed group in that sense. Correct. Where in 12-step, of course, it can it vary can from week to week. Yes, yeah. people come in and go. And in, even if we have relapses in our group therapy, mm-hmm. we work with that. Mm-hmm. People don't get thrown out because of a relapse, by mm-hmm. and large. Mm-hmm. Sure. And... I understand that your particular groups are designed for male sex addicts and as a female therapist leading a men's group what are the challenges and and what are the benefits well I used to be able to do group with a male co-therapist and so that is my ideal and that is still my ideal and the unfortunate part is that I had a wonderful co-therapist who moved to the other side of the country and just can't be here anymore mm-hmm. and I just uh, haven't found someone who's available mm-hmm. and so the ideal is the two parents figures if mm-hmm. you were if you will so a mother and a father mm-hmm. because there is a lot of transference toward me mm-hmm. that becomes motherly I am older so I think it's more of a motherly transference than transference than it is a sexualized transference mm-hmm. although that has happened mm-hmm. and I've been hit pretty hard with certain men who have really come on strong about that that's mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. Um, and we process that mm-hmm. but um, I think it's also a wonderful healing because a lot of these men have had breaches in their primary relationships if they're hetero Mm -hmm. and it's nice for them to be sitting with a woman who accepts them and knows the details of their acting out Mm -hmm. and still is not only accepting but nurturing Mm -hmm. and I and forgiving and Mm -hmm. welcoming and provides a space to talk about it without it being personalized Mm So I think that's a really big healing opportunity for people. But I must say that my ideal is to have both a male and female Mm -hmm, mm co-therapist. That might happen again. Sure, sure. Um, What I heard you also say is that you come from a place of non-judgment and curiosity and that there's something very particular about having that presence when somebody in group is very self-critical and the word that came to mind was shame and I'm wondering if you could talk for a moment about how shame gets how, how it gets not just addressed but but how it really gets relieved over time in your groups so you're raising something that I want to I will come back to that question, Mm -hmm. but I do want to say there have been times when either I have been or have been perceived as being judgmental. Mm. That has definitely happened. Mm -hmm. And what I hope for in my group and in all of my therapy is providing a place to repair. To me, a big part of therapy is reparation. You know, how do we repair the hurts? Mm -hmm. So... If I do make what I'm going to call a mistake mm-hmm. or a malattunement mm-hmm. with a client, 
I hope that they will give me, they will tell me so, and I will have the chance to try to repair it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, my intention is not to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. But I am quite sure that I have come off as very judgmental at times. I don't want to pretend that I am perfect or a saint. Or that the individual perceives it as judgmental. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that little sidebar first. <laughs> well, let me but, add something because I think there's please. something so powerful about that. So as therapists, we're always making mistakes. And what I hear you saying is that it's that rupture and that repair that yes. really role models and creates an experience that that we're not perfect, of course, as therapists or as human beings. Yes. And that inevitably we're going to disappoint at times or inevitably a client will get hurt. But hopefully we have that understanding and that space clinically or therapeutically that we can work on that like in any family or like in any relationship. And um, I'm going to turn it back over to you to comment on shame, but I think this is... It's super hand important. In hand with that. Yes, yeah. and it's important for me to be aware if I can catch it when it happens mm-hmm. so that I'm aware that I'm malattuning and make the correction. Mm-hmm. And learning how to communicate about that is mm-hmm. so vital also within the group. Mm-hmm. We do these things called carefrontations. Mm-hmm. You know, Nancy, you really hurt my feelings when you said things that way. That's a carefrontation as opposed to, I'm really pissed off. F you, I'm out of here. Right. So there's a way to resolve sure. problems. Sometimes I talk about the idea of using words rather than behaviors. Yes. And I've had people walk out of my groups in the past. Sure. And we've learned from that, too. Luckily, the one person I remember did come back. He walked around the block and oh, literally came back. Great. But you're right. There's there's always something that gets stirred up, and hopefully it's something that together, as therapist and group, we can all learn. Right. Yeah. And it's good for the other guys to see me if I do get carefronted or if I'm doing a carefrontation, that they, they see how that can be done. It's a great model for them. So coming back to shame, mm-hmm. a long time ago, I heard John Bradshaw talk about shame. He was a wonderful therapist and writer on healing families of dysfunction and addiction. And when he talked about shame, he said that whenever you examine shame, you are examining a loss and there is grief involved. Mm-hmm. And that is, I have found to be extremely helpful in my curiosity about a person's shame, is what has been lost. And very often with regard to sex addiction, Mm -hmm. the loss is an ideal of yourself, Mm -hmm. of your own identity. I'm not that kind of guy. How could I have behaved that way? I didn't intend to hurt my wife or partner. So understanding the loss can often be a safer way to track the shame. Mm I also love John Bradshaw, Healing the Shame That Binds Us, mm-hmm. was his book. Of course, recently, Brene Brown has yes. been talking about shame resiliency and shame. She's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And one of the things she said that I think applies to our conversation is that shame is given to us by others. 
and shame is healed through others. Yes, telling the story. Exactly. And they're generally not the same people, by the way, right? Yes. We get shamed in our families, in our communities, in our schools, by bullies, etc. But then in therapy, and especially in therapy groups, it's, yes. it's just a, a beautiful place for, yes. for that kind of healing and that kind of mutual understanding of the kind of hurt and suffering that goes along with, with that. Correct. And Mm -hmm. if we think about what often is underlying many addictions is some kind of early childhood trauma, then we can think about Judith Herman, who talked about trauma and Mm -hmm. recovery. Mm -hmm. And she also talked about telling the story and then integrating the feelings and then finding meaning. So there you are again with the transcribe, transform, transcend. transcend. Which is such a spiritual piece, that yes. idea of meaning yes. is, is really the, the, the kind of the pinnacle of recovery in some ways. Right, carrying yeah. the message and helping others. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So my final question is this. So with your group members, when they finish, if they finish their time in group, I know some people stay for a long, long time. Right, they think of it as part of their ongoing recovery program. Exactly, that's right. So what would you say your group members would share if they said, this is what I've gotten from my group experience. These are the benefits that I I take with me all the time. I think that I'm thinking of one guy in particular who recently left group and it was such an incredible transformation that he made. First, he reconnected with his family of origin and repaired a lot of shame. And, well, no, I would say first he really understood his sex addiction in a deeper way with regard to early childhood traumas that he experienced. Mm-hmm. Then he went back and did more repair with his family of origin, mm-hmm. always coming back to the group for support on it. And then he developed a relationship with someone and uh, they are now living together and they're in a very successful, communicative, healthy relationship. Mm. So he was able to really do the whole breadth of recovery Mm -hmm. in the time that I I have known him Mm -hmm. and so inspiring so definitely shame reduction was a big part of his work and Mm -hmm. understanding trauma Mm -hmm. as well as practicing recovery sure and and the last piece about going into a healthier relationship and having healthy sexuality I remember when he first slept with his partner it was (laughs) such a big deal and right you know that he was able to be who he is with his own particular interests and the way that he likes to do sex and mm-hmm. finding someone that he could talk with about that and enjoy it. Right. So balanced. Sometimes in program, the expression is integrating sex and intimacy as a healthy element. Yes. Or healthier element. Yes. And it, it sounds like it doesn't always take the same shape and form and everybody has a different version of that, but yes. that, that was really quite a, 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 a new phase of recovery, a deeper phase of yes. recovery and connection and love and attachment, all yes. that good stuff. Beautiful. So on that note, Thank you so much, Nancy, once again. I sitting with you. What a pleasure. I could sit here all afternoon. 
and um, maybe at some point in the future we'll, we'll come up with another topic and we'll meet again. Wonderful, I love that. And thank you so much for the opportunity, Andrew. My pleasure. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening today. It was so wonderful having Dr. Nancy Sobel with us to share more about group therapy and sex addiction. There's not enough group therapy out there today, and I believe it's one of the most underutilized forms of therapy out there, especially with this particular population. So I look forward to sharing more with you in future podcasts, and thanks again for being here today with us. And don't forget, be sure to give us a five-star rating and share with others about this podcast. And we welcome any comments that you have as well. If there's things that you want us to discuss in the future, please just let us know.